Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Uh, today I have a special interview where uh, it's not really I'm interviewing someone else. Uh, I'm having a conversation with another podcast host. Uh, his name is Chad and he runs the podcast called Random Badassery. A uh, very cool podcast. A lot of interesting themes, a lot of intersections with Crazy Wisdom. Uh, so if you're interested in, in more stuff like what I'm producing, then go ahead and check it out at Random Badassery. Uh, that's Random Badassery. Go check it out. Uh, as always, I'm on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I, 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 uh, my DMs are open. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode, any of the other episodes, uh, please reach out. DMs are open at Stuart Alsop, I, I, I have a great day. Thanks. So this whole, it's kind of kismet how this happened, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like I always, I listen to your podcast and I was thinking, you know, like, I'd like to have him on sometime and I didn't really know what we we're going to talk about. And then you put out that tweet and I was like, what does that mean? I want to know more about that. So I think like you have an interesting perspective on technology mm. um, because you're, um, I don't remember who it was you were talking to, but you said you had your, you had one foot in hippiedom and one foot in, and I can't remember what the other side was, but it was something along the yeah, business world. There you go. And I think that gives you a really interesting perspective. And the business world is essentially synonymous, synonymous with technology now. Right. Especially in the Bay Area where we are. Yeah. Yeah, so the tweet was something you were talking about the book range, David Epstein's book range. Yeah, so essentially he went and measured or no, he found out that with each generation, our ability to work with uh, and trade in abstract concepts is getting better with each generation. So there's some sort of test of how well somebody deals with abstract concepts. Uh, and there's also tests for IQ. IQ remains stable throughout the generation. So the distribution of IQ remains stable throughout each successive generation. But with abstract concepts, we're getting better with each generation. Uh, and it makes me think of something about writing so that we're writing a lot um, and that the invention of writing is changing culture. And then there's this, this uh, feedback loop. And now he didn't talk about this in the book range, but I've been thinking about Google and Google is semantic search. So it has to do with our ability to work with uh, the written word and find answers to the questions that we have using the written word. Uh, and this ties into something I do, which is called spaced repetition memorization and which sparked that tweet. Uh, so there's a software that I basically test myself. I come up with questions and then I have an answer to those questions and it's a flashcard system uh, where I test myself and then I see the, see the thing. And if I get it right, uh, then it, it places it way in the future uh, to test me again at some point. And it's based on an algorithm. Um, and I'm using the, the, this isn't good for like high level concepts, but it's really good for learning a new language. Um, and I'm, I'm learning that a lot of things is a, the beginning stages are about learning the language. So I've, I'm now getting into the, how the immune system works. And, you know, there's, I just learned this word cytotoxic killer cells. Um, and these are the cells that go out and attack infectious things. And that cytotoxic, if I have to, I have to figure out that word and really build a visualization in my head, a model in my head of what that is and see it go, you know, in my mind, imagination, go see it and do it. Um, and until I built that model, I can't effectively search for it. And so I, it, it, it's not in my lexicon. Um, and so I'm noticing that through the space repetition, I'm expanding my own ability to, to deal with abstract concepts um, and trade in them and talk about them and all these things. Um, and so 
and that's affecting my ability to search on Google. So it's widening my sphere where I can get into these really, really long tail things. And the cool thing about biology is that it's all there. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of open ended questions about how the body works, but you know, we've got like eighty percent of how the body works down to a science. Um, uh, but then the cool thing is is that we can. And what I love because I've, I have a background in body work as well is that a lot of scientists look at the very, very, very small and try to break things into their component parts. But the thing about body work is that the body is a, is a, is a system. It's a closed system. So you have to look at the system itself. And so you can take these things um, and then build a new meaning on it, which might be right, might be wrong. I don't know. Uh, but that, that, can, that can change how we work with this body that we inhabit. So that was a long way of, of answering that question. Well, the long ways are the interesting ones. <laughs> <laughs> if it was like a two-word answer, we wouldn't have much of a podcast, would we? <laughs> yeah, there'd be no reason. Yeah. Well, what what I what I was thinking about is the the Feynman technique. While you were talking about that, um, are you mm. familiar with Feynman technique? Uh, I've heard of it, but I don't know it. It's essentially boil it down to like two sentences, which is actually the, the whole point of the Feynman technique. Is if you can explain it, then you understand it. So if you can if you can take like an abstract concept and give me three sentences where I go, oh okay, I get what you're talking about. That means you actually understand it. So what he suggests is when you have an, when you're working on studying something is to try to explain it to somebody. And this goes back to the other kismet because we found each other on Twitter because that's exactly why I'm trying to use Twitter is that I made a realization about uh, probably about a year ago. Um, that I don't really care about the social proof of Twitter. I did care about it. Um, and I, I was using it to try to grow my audience and grow my, grow my things. And then at a certain point, I realized that, oh, wait, learning. I can use this thing to learn. So I, just as I, I did with that tweet, I, I brought something I learned from, from, from this book and shared it so that I could learn it uh, and learn it better. And, and that's the cool thing. And you know, we were talking before the show about questions and how I now use Twitter to ask questions. Um, and that is like, it's just totally changed how I use it. And I no longer view social media as a waste of time because I'm essentially adapting the way I use it to a goal of um, testing myself and learning space repetition. One of the things I didn't tell you in the green room chatter, which is funny, it didn't even occur to me. This asking questions thing is something um, a long time ago. I had a, a Facebook page for the podcast. Actually, it was for Holy Fool, which is long story. There was a period of time where I had multiple podcasts, and uh, I would ask questions every day. But it relates to what you were saying, like you know, the Twitter works better because of the shorter spaces for people to answer than Facebook. But also, <laughs> I made a terrible mistake going back also to what we were talking about making mistakes and learning. I would ask these questions, but I didn't interact with the answers. I just asked, you know, it was like I was just, it was content. <laughs> you know, like I just put out the question and like, okay, I put up something today and then I go on with whatever I was doing. <laughs> Terrible. And the, well, and this is, this is, <laughs> I, I'm very, very guilty of this and I'm still not guilty. I, I, I go through periods where I can then respond, but, but, because I'm asking so many questions in so many random places, I am very much treating it like content and I feel really bad. Well, I'm sorry. I used to feel really bad and now I've gotten over feeling bad, which might be, uh, I don't know who, who that's good for, but I like everything. I make sure to like every single thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So at least I'm doing that. But Well, I think there's, there's, there's a limit, right? You know, you don't want to, especially the, I think for the type of podcast that you and I do, there's a lot of mental work that has to go into, you know, like even, even for this conversation, like I wanted to 
talk about specific things in here. Well, I need to come in with some sort of fluency and feel a little bit prepared to talk about things. And that's mental work. Well, if I'm spending, you know, three hours on Twitter, <laughs> you know, there's at least two and a half hours there that I should have been using for something else. Mm. So there's that, there is that limit. But I think that I haven't even figured out specifically what our topic is, but I think it revolves around this idea of the tools and especially technology tools. Because I think that, you know, your, your comment about Google for fluency and then also the way that you use Twitter, you're using tools in an unexpected way. Mm. And I think that um, seeing the way that you use Twitter has actually changed the way that I use Twitter. And uh, I've like for just really rethinking the way that it can function. Like, oh, this is this is a really good way to actually communicate. Well, duh, that's what it was made for. But, <laughs> but you know, like we get caught up in the likes and all of that, you know, the numbers and all of that bullshit. Like I only have 22 followers. So <laughs> that's 22 people you could talk to. And like coming back to that, you know, like a, in a way, it's like a metaphor for your breath work, coming back to the breath or coming back to the conversation. The Google thing. I want to talk a little bit more about that. So do you think that the algorithm of Google plays into that expanding of fluency or is it all you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so the I was talking about with this with somebody recently who was more in this kind of uh, do-good space of, of creating something. And they said that, that Google was a prime way that people get radicalized because both with Google and with YouTube, uh, they, they, you search for something and then they give you the, they give you more of what you're searching for. Uh, so they, so they delve deeper and deeper and deeper into something. And so he mentioned the story of essentially this guy who started out searching for something. I can't remember what it was, um, that isn't necessarily tied to extremism, but then Google, it, but it, it, it is like subtly. And then it took one step closer to, to extremism. And then you can see this process of this guy getting um, radicalized through this content that he's getting. So I, I think it's an interesting, I mean, to really answer that question, we have to investigate what is this thing that I call I, or what is this thing that you call you? Um, and that is a deep philosophical question, and it's not quite clear. Uh, if anybody investigates that question, it's not quite clear what the answer is. Um, but functionally, uh, speaking about this you and I, there's something I've recently thought. I've been, I go on YouTube and I go on Google with a search mentality, so I'm looking for a piece of information. But a lot of people go on YouTube with a entertainment, I just want to be consumed. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. except if you aren't kind of getting into this feedback loop where you're also providing where you're taking that knowledge and then, and then uh, testing it and sharing it. Um, and so I, I don't have an answer specifically to that question of whether it's me or whether it's the algorithm, but it's a good question. And I'd love to hear your answer on it too. Well, uh, specifically going back to the radicalization part of it, and I had mentioned to you in our in our interactions before, you know, through email and stuff, that uh, there was Shoshana Zuboff's book, Surveillance Capitalism. And mm -hmm. A book I read before that was uh, Jaron Lanier's 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social Media Accounts Today. Really long title. I probably got at least one or two words wrong there. <laughs> but one of the things that he says in there and, and then is mirrored in 
Zuboff's work is that these algorithms, um, specifically Google, Facebook, Twitter, they they optimize for spectacle. In in the sense that I think it's drawn to what you what you're saying there about the idea of entertainment. Most people, or not most people, many people go to these things for entertainment. I think they're coming from the perspective that everyone goes there for entertainment. So these algorithms favor that type of thing. So for example, uh, recently I've been rethinking the way that I use Google. I stopped using Google completely for a really long time. And now I use it whenever I'm searching for something for the show. Because I want them... I want to try to use their algorithm to my benefit. Mm. To... You know, if I'm looking up something about, uh, you know, one of your favorite topics, cryptocurrency, if I'm looking up something about cryptocurrency, I want them to start filtering that into this identity that they're building that's attached to the show account and feed that in so that, you know, whatever they're pushing in front of me, it takes that into account. So then maybe I'll end up in different places, like you were saying, to expand. I've got a good idea for you. Uh, so the the way that technologists do this is they run an A/B test, and so uh, you could run an A/B test with Google and DuckDuckGo uh, because DuckDuckGo doesn't build an identity on you. Uh, you can actually evaluate how much Google is providing you a spectacle versus versus a, a one that doesn't. It also gets me into thinking about. Um, Building new technology because we as a society are adapting and I have an ideal in my head. I have a wish. I have a hope uh, that people like you and people like me and people like uh, simulation series and other people are exploring nuance and that there is a demand for it, but that demand has not been cultivated. Um, And so I I have a hope that there is this kind of silent majority that has existed for a long time that used to read a lot of newspapers and intellectual stuff. Uh, but didn't have the power to comment. I believe that silent majority still exists, and I believe that it's kind of waiting uh, uh, and and kind of like adapting to this new environment where media is 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 more outrageous and more spectacle and more all this different stuff. And I, I, I hope that we can essentially find that and motivate that to be more uh, 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 outspoken to speak essentially. Right. That's. I think that's going back to part of the reasoning of why I went back to Google for the show stuff. I almost uh, felt like I had a responsibility in the sense that obviously I don't want Google knowing my personal stuff. So if I'm searching for something that has something to do with me personally, I use DuckDuckGo and I use Safari. Oh, you're already doing it. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing that for like six months. I haven't done A-B testing though. Yeah. Um, but... I'll go there for my personal stuff. But for the show stuff, I'll go go to, go to Google because um, if I'm searching these nuanced topics, I want that fed into their algorithm. I want them to know that there's interest in that. So by not contributing to that, I started to realize I'm like, oh, I'm part of the problem. You know, if I'm removing myself from that algorithm, then I'm removing... I'm, you know, it's almost like democracy. I, I no longer have a vote. So I, I've, I've been trying to, I guess, maybe in my small way to tweak the outrage <laughs> or the spectacle, I should say. You know, like, oh, all of a sudden people are really interested in this. Why? You know? Yeah. Oh, because, you know, it spreads. And I think you're right. Maybe it is waiting. You know, maybe it's like a, a dormant virus. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and... 
what I like to do on my show is, is, is find the question that we're answering right now. And the question to me, the question that we just discussed is essentially how can you balance uh, anonymity versus participation? Uh, because knowing that pure anonymity is an ideal and it's never going to be reached and pure participation is also an ideal and never going to be reached. And also how can we contribute uh, to these things where we're also receiving? Mm-hmm. It's very much very much akin to when we think about it in something most of us are familiar with is politics. Mm-hmm. There's there's the idea of like democracy doesn't work, so I don't vote. Well, now you have no opportunity to affect democracy. So you know, or or they say you know, change the system from the inside. That's something many of us grew up hearing. Well, when it comes to these technologies, what I'm realizing is, yes. Lanier is correct and Zuboff is absolutely correct about what these companies are doing. But I think Lanier might be wrong about removing yourself from them because now they operate with the assumption that they're doing everything right. But if you're actually in there and slowly tweaking and, and adding those little viruses to their program, you know, that's metaphorical for all you hackers out there, <laughs> then it changes. You know, if we all think, if we everybody thinks that everybody in the room is in agreement, then the assumption is that everybody's in agreement. It takes people to to say, "I don't agree with that." And this gets into something ancient, uh, and ancient and very uh, old, uh, uh, which is that, and in, in, for lack of a better word, in part of a, a spiritual tradition, not only in the West but in the East. Uh, that there is something that happens once we start to question the nature of reality and start to do these various practices that are esoteric. Uh, we start to essentially desire to remove ourselves from everything uh, because everything is corrupt. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the thought. And he, he, what you just said, it kind of alluded to that in a sense like, oh, Google is corrupt and, and you know, TV is corrupt. All of these things are corrupt. So I must remove myself in order to be pure. Um, and then that's a very common thing. Like people go off into monasteries for their whole lives. Um, and there, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with going off and onto a monastery and, and devoting your life to this, to this search for higher truth, except that there is no higher truth there. Like the mm-hmm. higher truth comes from this participation in life, knowing that it's corrupt and knowing that it's, that it's, it will never be pure and knowing that the ideal is not something that is reachable. It's, it's the idea of, you know, like a, which is, by the way, you pretty much encapsulated where I was for like six months. <laughs> Just slowly removing myself from things that I thought were corrupt and then realizing like now, like, oh, I'm not helping. But, you know, the the image of the the old man with the white beard and the long hair on the top of the mountain, meditating on the peak of the mountain, he's not doing the world any good. He's not doing it any harm, but he's not doing it any good. I think it's, um can't remember the name of the Nietzsche book. But it it begins with the character doing exactly that. But then he comes back into the village. He has to bring what he's learned back. And I never connected that. I don't know why. There's a wonderful book by Colin Wilson called The Outsider. And it is about outsider culture. It's about people who look at themselves as outsider. And the outsider serves a purpose in society. People think that the outsider is permanently outside. But that's not true. The purpose and the job of the outsider is to step outside and be outside of the tribe 
so that when they come in, they can bring the perspective that they saw from the outside. They're still part of that system. They can't escape that social system. Yeah. <laughs> so many... It's going back to that kismet is like this has been on my mind a lot. And the person I just reached out to for an interview on my own show, um, uh, Felix Chandler, who's been a good friend for my for a long time, uh, he we we met in Bangkok, Thailand when we were both studying abroad there. And uh uh studying abroad and kind of removing myself from my own culture, finding a new culture going into immersion in that culture. And then we went on a bunch of adventures together, ended up like traveling all over the world, riding motorbikes through Latin America, learning a bunch of different languages and just having kind of adventures. And both of us have always felt like outsiders. Um, but then as an outsider, you can't be totally outside because you're dependent. We, you know, we're all dependent on the the system, the the food system, capitalism, like it's, it's, we're all dependent on it. So you can't be totally outside. And so we would find ourselves basically moving from group to group to group but never really connecting or feeling like we are part of these subcultures. And this is eventually the internet is like the subculture manufacturing machine or subculture connecting machine where it connects different subcultures, create new subcultures um, and allows people to find their tribe, so to speak. But then what is, how, for, for those of us who just don't feel a part of something, which may sound like to somebody listening to this might sound really, really lonely. Uh, but in fact, for me, it hasn't been that lonely. Uh, it's just kind of been the nature of who I am. It's just like, I don't, I don't connect, you know, I connect individually with people, but I don't connect to a sub tribe. Although I love learning about them and reading about them and, and temporarily becoming part of them, but never really being part of it. Um, so that's something interesting. I don't really have anything more to say on that. Yeah. I'm exactly the same way, to be honest. I was just thinking about that the other day. I'm like, oh, you know, I am really self-contained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and not in like a self-congratulatory way, but it was almost just in like almost a surprise way to realize like, you know, like when I go through problems and stuff like that, I don't reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the sense that I'm incapable of asking for help when I need it, but more in the sense that I'm emotionally contained within myself. I deal with my problems within myself. I don't actually reach out to talk about it. And it's, it's probably to some degree, there's probably some negative to that, but it's not a bad thing. It's just the way that I, I'm only child. I grew up emotionally self-contained. Mm-hmm. Um, but these tools, technology, they do serve the purpose of giving outsiders, we get a bigger window. You know, before we had a small window, now we have an even bigger window. But every, every piece of technology, of course, is it has two sides, right? Every for every positive, we get something negative out, out of something. I think that that's something people maybe seem to be forgetting is there is no perfect tool. There will be no tool that's all benefit with no negative. Um, computers brought so much as as far as a uh, computational power, but then they've also brought us outrage. Um, <laughs> there's so many different. They didn't bring us outrage. They made the uh, outrage more apparent and more easily. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, TV did that a little bit less and then radio did that a little bit less, but it's slowly been building with each technology, right? But for people on the outside, that's a bigger window, more to observe, more to see. But then also flat earth was kind of like a null topic until people were able to create groups online that made it seem like there was more of them. Find your tribe, even if it believes that there's a flat earth. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
And that's, you know, that's one of the things like I, <laughs> I joked about in the last episode I did with my co-host. I said, you know, maybe one day I might do an episode on Flat Earth. Like just what do they think? You know, like can can we look at it from an objective perspective and not to legitimize it, but just to look at it. And I think that's that's the outsider perspective, if I've ever heard of it, right? Is to look at something and go, what is that? Without having to feel like you you have to um, engage in the sense of, you know, to take a side on something. And I, I think that maybe that's why it's so hard for people to understand people like Sam Harris or Joe Rogan, what they're doing. Is because people, a lot of people are automatically associative to taking sides. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's just the way that they function. They don't have the outsider. They have insider um, mentality. But an outsider is able to look at things and go, oh, look at that. Look at those two dogs fighting. I don't need to pick which dog. I'm just watching two dogs fight. There's a lot we could go into from there. Uh, from Robert Spolsky, we know that the hierarchy and fr- the the... Uh, the hierarchy is a basic fundamental foundation of at least primates, at least chimpanzees, very, very likely human beings, very, very likely a lot of other animals, probably even to the cellular level. And that maybe even since the Cambrian explosion or life itself, uh, there is, there is a hierarchy. Um, yet what you mentioned about the observer and, and so that, that, you know, that, that is a highly, highly innate drive that we want to become an insider. Yet there are these people, for whatever reason, who are outsiders. And maybe it's not people because what you're getting into is essentially a spiritual question as well. It's like in a spiritual technique and tool uh, that we can use, uh, which is to notice the observer. So, you know, I'm talking and I'm observing myself talking. And then if I ask myself, who is that? What is that thing? Or who is that thing that's observing the person talking? If I can ask that question, then it means that whatever is talking is not me because I am the thing observing it. Um, but that gets into a really tricky hall of mirrors because if you then ask, what is the observer observing that person talking? And then what is the observer of that observer? It gets, it gets very hall of mirror-like and you kind of have to give it up because it's like, it's, just, it's a hall of mirrors. So there is this weird thing and this makes me think that these tools and techniques of meditation, they all point to something like you were saying, they're, they're just tools and we're never going to find the right tool. And that very, very much applies to this, for lack of a better word, spiritual uh, thing as well, is that they're all tools that, and they're just pointing to something. And what is it that's, that they're pointing to? That's the thing that we want. It's not the, it's not the tool that gets us there. It's not the tool that shows us there. But where are they leading? Where is it leading? Why do humans have the ability to meditate? Why do humans have the ability to be observers when everything else in life, and even within the human being itself, is is focused on this dominance hierarchy? And like, yet, why are we allowed to watch it and observe it in a way that separates us? Yeah, that's a, that brings up a question too. Is it's a really difficult question, but that's what we try to focus on here. Is everybody capable of that or are just some people capable of that i would argue that everyone is capable of it as long as they have a a certain intelligence and i do not mean this at all in the iq sense although i, I do believe that a higher iq might be able to get you faster there but also might get in the way of it as well um, mm-hmm. because because if you get stuck in the mind it's it's very very difficult to to 
uh, notice what I'm talking about because you identify directly with the mind. But I, I, do, I do believe that it is a, a, a common human thing. And I can show pretty much, I have been in my own personal experience, I can sh- show somebody how they can do that. Um, I've not found one person that I cannot bring to a slight realization of that they are, that they have this very basic awareness and very basic observance ability, this ability to observe everything that's occurring. Do you ever worry that, you know, there's, especially in the barrier, there's this kind of collision in, in some way, maybe to a more balanced degree, you represent this, this balance that we see coming through um, a lot of CEOs and um, technologists in the Bay Area where they are interested in technology, but they're also interested in more spiritual, more um, mindful practices. Do you ever worry, though, that some of these people aren't actually getting the point mm-hmm. of them and they're actually using them as tools, they're, but not proper tools, you know, like they're hacking them. You know, like, oh, if I do this, then I can do this more. They're not really getting the point of it. This is the whole reason I started my show, Crazy Wisdom, is to go into that exact point. Uh, and it, I'm not the first person to talk about it. And actually, the uh, I'm going to explain the name Crazy Wisdom because that actually is very, very relevant to this. Um, and this person I'm about to describe is not the reason why I named it Crazy Wisdom, nor is it the way, uh, nor is he the only one who talks about it. Uh, but there's a man named Chongyam Rinpoche, who's a Tibetan Lama who came to the United States, uh, set up Naropa University in, in, in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and he was an alcoholic. Uh, he was crazy. Uh, and he also had a lot of wisdom. Uh, and so he had this term called crazy wisdom, uh, which basically means that once you get beyond the mind, once you are able to see the mind for what it is, which is essentially a, a disease or a neurosis, um, uh, uh, and you can see it and it's crazy, um, but crazy in a, a neurotic way. And once you get to see it from this backdrop, from this observer, there's a certain wisdom that arises that's actually really healthy and helpful. Um, and uh, it's it's not only he isn't the one who started this term. Uh, there's also another term within the the Western mystic mystical tradition called divine madness um uh and he also came up with another term which is the term that's really important uh called spiritual materialism and i should say that he didn't come up with it he pointed to it and he's very cogent in his pointing to it and the spiritual materialism is when you when we're working in the economy and when we when we're doing a job and there's nothing wrong with having a job it's really important that you have a job that you do some work we try to make material benefit and we try to gain material benefit and we do that through use of tools and we and we we make money and and that's all there and then as soon as people start to get into this realm of spirituality and asking these important questions and figuring out what's going on uh, they start to then use those same tools and be like well everything's material i'm going to use these material tools in order to get this and so we start latching on to material um things like yoga yoga asana uh, putting ourselves in postures, creating this image of ourselves as, as like, oh, I'm doing the yoga, I'm eating the right things, I'm l- focusing on my breath in this particular way, and that's going to get me to this thing, and I'm going to get all the money and all the thing and all the effectiveness, uh, all towards this material goal. And it's just, it's just repeating the same process in the material world, but it's not getting us anywhere. And yes, very much I agree that that is happening in the Bay Area, and it's a, an issue because uh, of power structures that... You know, the Google founder is going to Burning Man. Uh, 
headspace, all of these companies have a lot of power and they're building the technology and the technology is taking over the world and it's everything that's being mediated through these pipes. Um, and they've got there. And then, and then there's another theme, which is that the people building the technology, if you go to ecstatic dance here in San Francisco, they also have it down in San Jose. Most of the people there are engineers, people who have been building these products for a long time and then found that it's all material and it's not fulfilling. Um, it's not fulfilling in that deeper sense that will sustain us for longer. Um, and because of that, they, are now finding these techniques and tools and other things like that. And, and, you know, the reason I know it is because I, I went through it. I probably still do it. Um, and, and it's like a very basic human thing, but if we're not aware of it and many people here aren't aware of it, and that's why I'm doing the show is, is hopefully to expand that awareness of, of that this is a thing and that this is something that we should become aware of or else it will bite you in the ass. And I know that because it bit me in the ass as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, hope, I don't know if I answered that question. What's well, funny is all this time I never made the connection between holy fool and crazy wisdom. We're both basically coming from the same place. You know, the holy fool is like the umbrella that I used uh, that I use for everything. You know, the website is holy fool productions because of that same idea. Well, that's so weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh should we? I think we've used it a bunch of times. We might as well just say for the audience one more time: kismet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, what I worry about, like uh, I don't know why, I specifically when you said headspace, I specifically went a place with that. And what I was thinking about is, th- so they're taking these systems, these spiritual systems, and they're putting them, putting them out, which to some degree they are doing good. You know, they're giving people some, literally, some headspace. But then I start thinking about like the process of everything becoming technological because it seems once things become technological, there's a three-part process that just keeps looping forever, which is contain an idea, analyze, analyze what happens and then manipulate. So contain, analyze, manipulate, start over again, contain, analyze, manipulate, contain, analyze, manipulate. That's what Google does, right? So, Contain we contain everything. Okay, so let's try to get everybody's email into Gmail. Everybody use Gmail. Now we've contained it. Now we analyze everything. And now that we have all this, we can manipulate. And then, you know, we don't know what they're manipulating for. They could be manipulating for positive. But the fact is, that's what's happening. And then it starts to... The problem with that is the first step, right? It's containment. So even though we may be manipulating things with the idea of making things better through the process of containment, we're excluding things. And I think that also plays back in what we were saying about Twitter and all of these things. It's like, why is outrage and why, you know, why are these, why are people becoming more and more tribal? It's because the nuance and all of that stuff is what is being left out of the containment. It's what's being pushed out. And you can't contain it. Yeah. Because it continually changes, right? It's like water. You can contain water. Well, that's probably not a good metaphor. You can contain water. <laughs> yeah. It's well, like an that, idea. It, it's well, and that's that's a very good point. Yeah. So the, that could get into the elements, and essentially, you know, we have we have these elements, and I'm not talking about the elemental, uh, you know, the base basic elements of life. I'm talking about like everything comes into these forms of water, earth, air, 
um, all these different things. But then what is the substrate of that? And what is in that? I would, I would say, I would argue that that's awareness because there's, there is one thing that we can be sure of. Um, I, I can be sure that I am aware. I'm relatively sure that you're aware, but I can't test that. Um, and I'm relatively aware that everybody else is aware, but I can't test that. Um, but I am sure that I am aware. Uh, and, and I do know that everything that I've ever learned or everything that I've ever experienced has been within this space of my awareness. Then in getting into my awareness, whether it is my awareness, that's the key question. Because if it's not my awareness and you're aware and everything is within the space of awareness, then that leads me to believe that my individual awareness is just one small part of this greater awareness. Um, And so I would say that that nuance comes from this space of awareness being like, okay, I'm observing all of this stuff happening. I'm observing myself using this tool in order to gain this, this, this uh, goal of manipulation. But then what is it that's aware of this whole thing? And that's where that space of nuance is like, oh, 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 and then there's so much more. And then, then it is continuously changing and uh, everything is changing all the time and that we, we start to do these things and we think they'll work forever, but then they don't work and that they change and then we have to figure it out again. And it's like this constant entropy, right? And then, and then it gets into this negative entropy. Why life is this negative entropy force, this, this building up force, this creation force, but it's always battling in this yin and yang kind of thing with entropy, this thing that will eventually destroy the universe, but then maybe the universe will arise again. It's like, yeah, uh, uh, that's my answer to that. So then what I'm wondering is, you know, people could probably listen to this and think that, you know, um, if they missed the parts where we talked about the tools that we use personally, they could think that we're saying not to use these things. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But obviously you and I do, you know, like we we had a long conversation in the green room about some tools that we use and how we use them. Um, how do we use these technological tools without being contained? How do we, you know, like how, in a, in, in a less abstract way and more in a tangible way, how do you think that we can use them without being wrapped into it? You know, because we are being analyzed. That's a really good question. Um, I want to make it practical. What I said was could be very abstract, but for me, it's extremely practical uh, because right now I can I can come back to the the the, the fact that I am aware, um, and just returning to that fact of, that I'm aware allows me to us to enter this space, which has now become a meme and a cliche, but beginner's mind, um, where that or crazy wisdom where that or holy fool where that divine madness can arise and that openness and potentiality arises. And I believe that's the space where you can't analyze because yes, Google is analyzing me as an individual. Uh, well, actually they, they are analyzing me as a data point. Um, they aren't actually analyzing me as an individual. Um, right. And this, and Facebook isn't analyzing me as a data point or as an individual, it's analyzing me as an individual, as a part of a subgroup. Um, so they have mapped me out in terms of my subgroup directly, but I'm not just my subgroup. I'm, I'm a, a whole bunch of other things, you know, like Walt Whitman, you contain multitudes. I am, I am a vast, there's a vast universe inside of me and it's a vast universe inside of you and anybody listening, there's a vast universe inside of them too. So it's like, um, so I, I think the best way to do what you just said to make it practical is to come to an experiential understanding that you contain multitudes and that these things are they are just 
capturing the personality or an aspect of the personality, I would say. I think it's important to take that mindset too and to never forget to, you know, you have to remind yourself that you're being analyzed and through that through that analysis, you're being manipulated mm-hmm. in the sense that um, if I am, here's a great example. I looked up one article on the new Joker movie once. And now I get fed articles about the new Joker movie like seven times a day. Mm-hmm. It didn't pay attention to the nuanced things that I looked up. I'm not getting fed as much of those things. So you have to remember that. When you're when you're automatically taking in a passive sense, taking what is put forth before you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this brings to mind a question to make it even even more practical. And I don't know, I do not have an answer to this question. So right now we live in a a, a, a time of relative sta- stability. We've lived in stability since um, you know 1950s. Those of us in the developed countries, and and um, and even more so since the 1990s. Uh, and uh, we may be entering a play, time of of, of conflict. And so if there is a time of conflict um, and these tools have been developed that are manipulating us, that's the question that I wonder about. Because when it comes down to it and, and I've, you know, Facebook has me mapped as a sub-identity and we already know from the 2016 election that, that uh, they can motivate that towards political goals. And then you got China, which is doing surveillance technology and exporting those, that surveillance technology to, the, to a lot of countries around the world. Um, that's the thing that gets me scared because that is 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 uh, the the thing I mentioned about awareness might not save save us from that. Like, uh, I, and I don't know what that means. I don't, it, it, you know, I, f- I fear a lot of things. Sometimes I'm paranoid. So, um, and I I'm, I I I wonder about that. But maybe maybe the awareness thing is a is a is a solution to that. As long as I don't get personally identified with this body and this this thing that I call Stuart, um, which might sound a little weird to a lot of different people, because it's like I, we're taught to to grab onto our identities and believe that we are the we are this body, even though after we die, um, everything inside of these bodies gets dispersed back into the universe and doesn't really change. Like all the material, I mean, it changes all the time, but the but the material, the, the basic energy inside of our bodies is, doesn't disperse. I think we have to think like revolutionaries without being isolationists in the sense that um, we don't need to pull back and stop using these tools. We just need to be aware of what's happening. So, for example, don't give them personal information. You know, if it's personal stuff, do it in something secure. If you have to get the Tor browser, get the Tor browser, you know, whatever. And you're going to look at your medical stuff there, look at your medical stuff there. But when you are using them for entertainment or like what we're doing, you know, for research where they are a benefit, Google's algorithms are to a benefit. Also keep in mind that what you're being passed off is, you know, it's, it's, it's already been filed and sorted to an assumption on who you are. And remember every once in a while to step outside of that and to look for something else. Don't keep looking for the same things. Always look for something different every once in a while. And sometimes think like a virus. Mm. You know, put Search for things you don't actually care about just to fuck up their algorithm. <laughs> it, it's, this feels like a question I, that I feel like my life is playing out. Is how random and how many subgroups can I join and how many, like, how can I outsmart the algorithm knowing that the algorithm has millions and millions and millions of dollars dedicated to figuring me out and and 
um, the common question that I have, and I don't know if we have an answer. Yeah, that'd be hilarious, right? You know, think if you're thinking like the algorithm, it's like, let's see, he is a member of this atheist group, but he's also a member of this Baptist church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going on and liking Gaga, Gaga, Lady Gaga on Facebook, and then liking like, yeah, like um, you know, the Prime Minister of Australia or right, uh, yeah. <laughs> or somebody completely homophobic, right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. you have, you know, born like this, and then you have <laughs> this person that is completely opposite, or searching for flat Earth and then looking at pictures of the globe, <laughs> <laughs> or talking to a scientist who is, you know, about climate change or something like that. Uh, something you mentioned is really interesting. I want to go into it because it's coming up on my space repetition. You talked about thinking like a virus, uh, and and it reminded me of this way that we can peer into how nature works. And if we, instead of creating something new uh, that is like artificial, but you know, everything's part of nature. So it can't really be artificial. We can look at what nature is like in, and then use that to build technology that mimics nature. Um, and I've been learning about the immune system, as I mentioned earlier, and I found these, the, these, like when a infectious agent comes into the body, the first things that attack it are antibodies and they don't attack it. They just attach to that infectious agent um, and then they mark it for destruction. And then another cell will come in and then attack it that. Um, and it's so interesting because like, I feel like that is the way human beings fight wars almost you know, like that's when you have the camera and you mark it and you sense it uh, and then you, and then send a missile at it. And so it's pretty far tangent from what we were talking about before, but, uh, but I find that interesting. I don't know if you find it interesting as well. Well, I don't think it's that far. I think that essentially what it says is as human beings, we don't like being contained. Mm. We, we, why do we create chaos? Even after, you know, like you said, we're in a, in a, in a time of, of the best prosperity and health and economic equality that we've ever had in history. Mm. But we're slowly working towards chaos because to some degree, the human being is the chaos factor. That maybe life to some degree has to involve some sort of chaos. That we all are viruses in a way, right? I, I'm, if you ask the, you know, the, the earth that's slowly warming up what the human being is, it probably represents something closer to a flu virus to them or to it. Maybe we have to accept that part of our nature as well. You know, I do think that there's a danger to going back to using, you know, technologists manipulating the ideas of mindfulness to their advantage instead of really getting the point of it. But there is a danger to, not seeing the full spectrum of the human that we are there is part of us that is beyond that is the you know the not even the observing self but above the observing self the higher self substrate yeah the thing that is pure but then there's also the part of us that's dirty and the part of us that's chaos and the part of us that's an asshole that's part of who we are too 
And the thing about the human being is not that we have one or the other. The thing about the human being is that that's why the Tao is so important is because we are the mix. We are the thing that is always seeking balance between the two, not the eradication of one or the other. So even within the Tao, there is a small dot of white within the black and a small dot of black within the white because neither side is pure. And I think that's something, that's why I, I have trouble really connecting with a lot of the, uh, you know, the use of uh, hallucinogens and things like that because so many people use it as this idea to transcend. I don't want to transcend. I want to stay exactly where I am and I want to deal with the struggle because I think that's what makes us human. Well, and there, and there is no transcend, transcendence with a, a, a kind of a, a basic wanting of transcendence either because transcendence encompasses both the wanting and the not wanting and stuff like that. Right. And actually, you know, now that we talk about, I bring up psychedelics, obviously there are people who use it in a spiritual spiritually correct way. I believe that. Um, but a lot of people are manipulating the same way we we're talking about manipulating yeah. mindfulness. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Here's this tool to make me do this better. Like, yeah. mm, that's not the point of it. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the, sh- we're going to have a shaman industrial complex pretty soon. I guess <laughs> it's like yeah. meditation Tuesday, ayahuasca Wednesday. <laughs> well, you got to microdose it too. Oh yeah. Although I've I've heard that is actually pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I've, and I've, I've I've experimented with it. Um, uh, it. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's it, they're they're tools again. And as soon as we mistake the tool for the goal, we become trapped and um, build thought palaces of 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 the things we do to get the thing that we can get. Mm-hmm. And you know, instead of just kind of, I don't even you know, it's hard to put what is the goal. Do I know what the goal is? Do I have I reached the goal? I don't think I've reached the goal. I don't know. Um, it's the consumer mindset is the problem, right? It's like, take this to do this. Whereas, you know, some things have an innate purpose within themselves and then they don't, you know, it's not, you don't meditate so that you can get more work done. Mm. Although getting more work done can be a byproduct of meditation. Yeah. But it's not guaranteed or at least it shouldn't be right. Some people go through periods of chaos through meditation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the, that was exactly how I got into it. I, I got into meditation. This was before I had space before everything is probably about eight years ago. Now I got into it, reading a blog, uh, of someone who was in the tech world who said meditation will make you more effective at your work. Uh, and so I started reading it. I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do five minutes a day. Oh yeah. You know what? I actually remember it. All right. So, uh, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but he was one of the original crew of Twitter. Um, and he started this app, which was called something else, eventually called coach me. Um, and it was a habit habit tracker that was built off of, um, the ideas behind the power of habit, this book. Uh, and so I would, I would started really, really slow with like one to two, uh, minutes. And then I would check it off each day and I'd build a, build a 30 day streak of it. And then I would increase the two and then five, and the whole time that was motivated by, I am going to get better uh, so that I can do better work. Uh, and then that led me five years later, once I started to get into a medical issue, it was like, oh, I'm going to solve this medical issue by doing the meditation and going to the meditation retreats and doing all this stuff. Uh, and that led me to a very, very, very dark place. Um, and uh, 
and I, that that is going to be, I think, more, much more common uh, very soon for a lot of people. Because I don't know if about you, but but uh, there's something going on in terms of the world right now where it's getting a lot more stressful for a lot more people. A lot of crazy stuff is happening, and you know, I don't want to get too mystical about it, but it seems like we are entering a period of stress. And as we both mentioned both many times, even though our material benefits and our material lives are pretty good at an absolute basis, relatively there's more inequality, but at an absolute basis, we are more, more blessed than we've ever been materially. Even though that's a fact, we seem to be entering a, a, a time where people are starting to very, very much question the fulfilling nature of these material things and are starting to look at these thousands of year old questions about humanity, about what it means to be happy, about what it means to find meaning. Um, and, and it seems pretty stressful for a lot of people. Well, I think also going back to the book that kind of brought us both here together at the same time, even though I haven't read it, I did do a little bit of research before we came in. So at least I understood the basic concepts, but range David Epstein's book range he talks about the difference or the benefit of being a generalist as opposed mm-hmm. to a specialist. I'm going to use that as an analogy here is if we are entering a period of stress, then it's very beneficial for us to be generalists in chaos. In a <laughs> sense, you know what I mean? Like if you can only think one way, if you have tunnel vision and you think you understand the world and this is the way the world works and this is right and this is wrong and there's no nuance, you're going to do really bad in that stress, stress yeah. yeah, because that's not what you're going to be handed. You know, yeah. Google's Google's not going to hand you the perfect answer at the top of your search results in that chaos world. So, being comfortable with nuance and being comfortable with something that people have forgotten, being comfortable with disagreeing with mm. people and not making them your enemy. Yeah. Um, I had a wonderful interaction with somebody on Twitter. They started this app. I don't actually have the person's name because they use the app's name on Twitter, but it's the person who designed this app called Momentum. The website is momentum.earth because there's like 15 different things called Momentum out there. But we were talking back and forth. There are certain questions I had about you know the way things functioned in the app. I was just looking at the demo and stuff like that. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And we had disagreement. I say, well, don't you think, you know, for example, uh, to make it a little bit more tangible, but not to get too in depth, they don't have repeating tasks. And I said, don't you, don't you think that, you know, like you should have repeating tasks? You know, like I want to do this every Tuesday. And he's like, well, we have this thing where you can copy. And I was like, well, you're actually offloading the effort onto the user. Don't you think that that's asking too much cognitively of the user? And, you know, he came back. He's like, well, this is the way I look at it. And we went back and forth. And when we ended the conversation, the tweet that he sent me was, thank you for this beautiful disagreement. And the praying hands and the smiley face with the sunglasses. And I was like, yeah, that was great. We disagreed, but I enjoyed the conversation. And that's the kind of thing that we need to prep ourselves for. And it's this this, this kind of neoliberal ideal that we're we're all going to get along and that that everything's going to work out hunky-dory just like it was in the fantasies that we all got fed when we were younger. It's like... No, the contrast it's the, the like you said I mean, we don't need all the contrast all the time all the conflict like that you know that's the way i grew up and that that, that wasn't that great either but but it's like there, there is this point at which you do need conflict you need to disagree with people you need people to disagree with you you need to find somebody who will tell you the truth 
uh, as they see it, even though it might not be representative of the truth in a larger sense. Like you need to grapple with what other people think of you. And yeah, I absolutely agree. I think actually you bring up a word that I think a lot of people don't understand, neoliberal. Mm. They, they think when, I know there's a lot of people out there think that when someone criticizes neoliberalism, that they're condemning the left. Like, that's not really what neoliberalism is. It's a weird offshoot of people who align themselves to the left but are really in favor of a free market. Mm-hmm. And the perfect example of that is where we are right now. Uh, the technologists in the Bay Area, a lot of them, either this or libertarians. Yeah. Um, and that's it's so interesting because that neoliberal thing that was i don't know if you read francis fukuyama the 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 end of history mm-hmm. um he wrote a book called the end of history right after the cold war is like neoliberalism won we have won it's all over from here we're all in this utopia now uh and then with the rise of trump we can see how how that how well that worked out uh so it's like yeah it's it's interesting because it's like the the yeah you're you're right um it's interesting all right. Well, we, we've got five minutes. You've got to go do your breath work in five minutes. So I don't want you to miss that. Where can people find you online? Tell them where to find the podcast, where to find you on Twitter and so forth. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so the podcast is named Crazy Wisdom. Uh, I do a lot of very similar stuff to you. Try to find the nuance in life. Try to find the nuance in situations. And uh, I also have a, one theme of creativity and stress. So what role stress plays in the creative process. And I've been interviewing a lot of people on that. I interview a lot of creative people and you can find it on iTunes by searching for crazy wisdom. Uh, you can also on Spotify on Stitcher and all these different places. Uh, and if you do like, like the show, I'd love to communicate with people who do love the show on Twitter and you can always reach out to me. I, I try to answer every DM that I get and, uh, and also reply to tweets that are, that are sent to me. So you can find me at Stuart Alsop III on Twitter. Again, that's at Stuart Alsop III. I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, and that's one thing that I don't do intros. So <laughs> His name is Stuart Alsop, if you didn't read the description of the episode, which some people don't do. <laughs> and if you guys would like to help support this show, you can go over to Patreon, become a patron, Holy Fool Productions, uh, patreon.com forward slash Holy Fool Productions, where you'll hear the first 25, 30 minutes of this conversation that Stuart and I had about, I think we, we talked about Twitter, we talked about being podcasters in general, stuff like that. You can also follow random badassery on Instagram and Twitter. And please, if you're listening in Overcast, hit the star. And uh, maybe if you're really nice, you'll rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which is the hardest thing to get people to do. Do you find that's hard? <laughs> uh, yeah, I found it pretty hard. The uh, Every time that I do an episode with Kapil Gupta, people just end up doing it. Um, but yeah, it was it was difficult. So one of the things I like to end with is, do you have any words of wisdom to end the episode? Find range uh, for the coming robotic apocalypse where everything specialized will become part of what machines do. And we'll need to find a way to figure out how to be more meta. Hope you enjoyed the special episode uh, with Chad from Random Badassery. Uh, Go check out that show. Sounds like it's really an interesting show and I think you'd enjoy it. Uh, So have a great day. Find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I-I. Again, that's at Stuart Allsop, I-I-I. Uh, my DMs are open. Would love to hear from you. Have a great day.